This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, and Brian Murphy. All right, welcome in, Jeff, Brian, and Eric on this uh, Wednesday night. We're recording. This is show number 245, is it, Murph? I don't... Jeff, I, I've barely I, I, been on half of this I'm supposed to keep track of it, but it, it, look, what, what do we have here? It's... Uh, I got, here I am clicking through this thing. Boy, this is one heck of an intro. No, sh- wow, I'm wrong. 243. <laughs> Show 243 of the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. That, we're, we're encroaching uh, on 250, boys. It's a big moment for us, isn't it? Oh, encroaching gives me visions of people jumping off sides and moving early. Oh, I don't know if you want to say well, the word encroaching. Uh, Look at that. Well, look kicking at that. We, look at that. We had kicking. a we we talked about encroachment, and there was also this. I guess you could call this show a false start. Oh, <laughs> you know, guys, come on. We got a lot of people bummed out. I'm bummed out, you know, because the Heat are about to lose to the Lakers, and we're gonna get the Lakers why coronation. Which why are you bummed out about that? The Heat were the underdogs from the beginning, and they lost their two best players due to injury. So you were sending me all this five thirty eight stuff, which came up a bunch of hooey. And meanwhile, the Marlins, by the time this airs, is no, probably done. No, the 538 stuff wasn't hooey because they lost their two best players. You can't account for that. <laughs> yeah, the Marlins are going to be out. And it's all, I blame UCF for all this because they started this bad trend by Saturday's game. So I'm a little bummed it's out. A, so it's been a rough. You. Folks, send your, rough. send your well wishes to Eric Lopez at Eric Lopez Thank you. Elo. Thank you. I could use it. Uh, it, yeah, rough weekend for for all of us here, uh, on the, including a 34-26 to 26 loss to Tulsa. No, uh, no week was rougher than it was for uh, UCF and its coaches and players on the, after that performance, which we will talk about in depth. And of course, can't get a uh, you know that bye week comes not a second too soon, huh? I mean, uh, you, you know, no game this coming week, and then they uh, and then the Memphis game at Memphis on ABC, three thirty p.m. Uh, on the seventeenth uh, uh, to get back to it. But uh, we'll be talking about that also a little bit later. Uh, Andrew Glukov, Stat Boy Drew, is going to be joining us here on the Black and Gold Banneret podcast as well to uh, talk about some of the stuff that he spoke about uh, with uh, J- uh, with uh, Jordan McRae and uh, and Aaron Evans about the offensive line play, of course, which is you know obviously not the factor, but one of the main factors in UCF's thirty four to twenty six loss to Tulsa. Tulsa, by the way, is now nine and three all time against UCF. They've won eight of the last nine. And the last four against UCF. I, they, what is it about that school? They just wear UCF out. It's unbelievable at this point. Um, UCF jumped out to a uh, 16 to nothing lead. They were up 23 to five in the second quarter. And from that point on, Tulsa outscored UCF 29 to three. Uh, uh, and that included a uh, a thirteen to three clip in the fourth, and a nine nothing or thirteen three in the third, nine nothing in the fourth. Individual stats: uh, Zach Smith was ruthlessly efficient, uh, seventeen to twenty nine, two seventy three, three touchdowns and a pick for Tulsa. He had all day to throw back there. Uh, Dylan Gabriel on the other side, twenty eight to fifty one, three thirty, one touchdown and a pick. Um, 
it was rainy. It was, but it wasn't sloppy rainy. Um, but some of the key numbers that I was able to pull up from the game, um, and I want to know what you guys thought of this too. We'll talk about the penalties in a second. Um, but uh, the battle in the trenches. If you take out Otis Anderson's 49-yard touchdown run in the first quarter, uh, Tulsa outrushed UCF, and this is in sack-adjusted rush yards, so you take out the sacks, 183-79. to Eric, you always talk to me about how you win in the trenches, you win the game. And clearly Tulsa won in the trenches. They protected Zach Smith. UCF could not protect Dylan Gabriel. Tulsa ran the ball. UCF really didn't. Um, and I thought that the Tulsa defensive line really did a fabulous job enforcing Dylan Gabriel to his right, uh, where he had to he had to make throws across his body. And um, give him credit, man. Tulsa they came in they they you know they and they uh, they took it from UCF. Got to give him credit, right? Yeah, but we blew the game. So I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, we're up. You're up twenty three to five at home. You need to close that down. And they they let Tulsa hang around. And I thought the turning point, Murph, you were there at the stadium, so I'm kind of curious your thoughts on this. I thought defensively UCF was having their best half so far of the season in that first half. Tulsa had like 21 yards of passing. And then yeah. they got that score in right before the half to get within 11. And we'll get into the whole sequences about – you know, they didn't – UCF wasn't aggressive. They kind of took it to the locker room and stuff. But that kind of let them hang around. And even to that point, the night felt odd. It felt – did it not, not feel it was, odd in the press box with – you had an offensive line touchdown. You had these turnovers. The weather was weird. The the, the atmosphere was weird because there's like 8,800 people in the building. It, it kind of felt weird. And even though I thought UCF was kind of in control, they kind of let Tulsa hang around, and that would prove to be costly as we would get into the second half. Did you sense that in the press box? I mean, at halftime, it was funny, because at halftime, you're like, hey, UCF's up by 11, the same margin they were leading by last time they played Tulsa at Tulsa last year when they were mm-hmm. up by 11 and a half. <laughs> um, and that was really – I didn't really sense the weirdness in the crowd. I mean, yeah, we all knew it was going to be different. And, you know, walking around campus, walking around Memory Mall before the game, that was spooky because there's no one out there. Um, but I, I don't want to really give that a lot of credence to the result because I think everyone plays through that this year. And, you know, I, I don't really – you can't quantify the impact of that. So I, I don't know what to say toward that end. I, you know, obviously the way Tulsa ended the second half was, was, one, surprising because Zach Smith had been, one, very conservative, and, two – you know, I had taken some hits and was under some pressure early. Did not expect him to come out with, with a minute and a half to go and basically drive down the field lickety split, taking, you know, advantage of UCF down the seams. Uh, there was, a you know, uh, a blown, a little bit of a blown coverage by, by Antoine Collier and Xavier Maxwell that ends up in a touchdown, but really just a really nice throw down the left hash um, to a receiver. Um, but even with that, and, the, and UCF being very conservative under the last minute of, of the second quarter, you're still like, well, you're up by 11, you get the ball first, and, and you know, everything seems hunky-dory. But really, it was the first two plays of the second half that changed, in my mind, the tenor of the game. Yeah. Fumbling the immediate kickoff, and Tulsa strikes right back within one play, picking on Corey Thornton for a touchdown. And that takes 11-point game down to four. And now you guys have a now you guys have a ball game, and you have seen like they were playing on their heels. Yep. Yeah, it was yep. it, yeah. When you think about it, so 
prior to that drive right before half, UCF, that, that was the Cole Schneider touchdown run. And congrats to Cole on a fourth and goal, nonetheless, that made it 23-5. to five. Everybody forgets that, that that drive was a heck of a drive. That was a 13-play, 96-yard drive that took five minutes off the clock. Yes. And, and I thought, I don't know what you guys, I, I thought, I was like, they just demoralized Tulsa's defense right before the half. Like that, like like they just took the win right out because you go well, all the way down the field line right. and you pound it in on a, and they think they have you they have you nicked on the fourth and goal and then you just pound it right in with an offensive line and I'm like okay, all right we're gonna be okay. Then like you said, it was a four play drive with one thirty four to play and it was it, it was uh, and three of them were pass completions. Um, mm-hmm. It was. Santana, Johnson, Johnson, 48. The, the third one to Johnson from Smith uh, to Josh Johnson was 48 yards, and boom, 53 seconds left. They're down set. Then what you were talking about, Murph, Murph was right. Um, in the third quarter, you fumble the kickoff. One play to, to Crawford, 34 yards and a touchdown. Basically, Tulsa, uh, Tulsa scores 14 points on two consecutive offensive plays. Yeah. And just like that, you're, you you're essentially, yeah, you, you got, got a game. ball game. And, and also, they have the momentum because that was a really good drive by Smith. And I think a lot of fans were surprised that with 47 seconds left and two timeouts on the, your own 31 that, uh, that UCF sat on the football before the half and didn't try and get at least three out of that to try and answer to, to, to try and answer the TD. Were you, were you Murph, were you surprised at that? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, just because that's not the way UCF plays the game, right? right? UCF plays tempo. They think they can They think they think can score in under a minute any drive. It was a very conservative drive. move by a hyper-aggressive offense. Right. It just seemed out of character. Now you could say, well, why would they do that? Well, they weren't exactly having the easiest time moving the ball in the second quarter. And it was rainy and it was sloppy. So you didn't want to risk maybe a, a late a late half turnover. You were up by 11. You had the ball first coming out of the break. Um, so you go into half. You make your adjustments. Uh, and, and try to score on that opening drive. So, yes, it was it was it was surprising. I don't think it changed the outcome of the game, uh, but at least it was surprising. The issue was obviously you never get the ball to start the second half right. because you fumbled on the kicker. Right. Well, and I defended and I defended uh, Josh live at the moment when he made that decision because of everything that Murph just said. I thought was accurate. It wasn't like the offense was quote unquote rolling every play and they were just bursting in plays. And I think he was probably worried with the offensive line, which I'm sure we're going to get into a lot. You know, what if you get a penalty? What if you turn the ball over, which happened at times during the first half? Yeah. On one one sequence in the first, in the first half, there were three turnovers on three plays. Right. So you go to the locker room, you're thinking you're going to get the ball to start the second half. So why not? And, you know, obviously hindsight's 2020. And I love how we are all second guessers because, if UCF gets the holds on to the football, and I think an aspect of this, you know, there's been so much chatter about the penalties and the offense and this. We haven't discussed about the special teams, which I think was just as big of a part in this loss as anything. When you consider the fact we you miss a 21-yard field goal in the first half, which is just a crusher, you fumble the kick return, the opening kickoff, which was a huge play in the second half. Yeah. There was a dumb penalty where the long snapper for goes and throws the helmet of Tulsa. That's 15 yards that helped Tulsa uh, in the second half. I thought the special teams was not very good. But obviously, 
if UCF comes up with the ball in the second half and goes in there and scores, we're not having this conversation about, well, why did Josh Heupel take a, you know, play a conservative? But because things played out the way they did, now people are going to be critical about it. I didn't have a problem with it live because I just it wasn't like things were cooking. But obviously it didn't work out, uh, obviously, in the long run. But I thought, you know, that's, to me, uh, my thoughts at the half. But I'll tell you this. I, I'm wondering what you both thought on this. Because obviously I'm watching the game on TV. As soon as Tulsa scored to make it 26-25, and they missed the extra point because, you know, mm-hmm. it is Tulsa. They have to miss a kick every game. <laughs> um, they showed the, the sideline, and they Tulsa players were fired up. And I could tell at that moment, you knew that in their mind, psychologically, they knew they can win this game because they had beaten this team last year. And they knew that they, they were they had them. They had they had the confidence to over you know take care of it in the second half. Did you guys any of you sense that in the second half? Because I sensed that at least from watching it on TV uh, presentation. I thought in the second half, Tulsa knew, hey, we beat these guys last year. We're going to do it again. Whereas maybe I don't know if I'm not saying UCF was affected by psychologically with last year, but clearly things were not going well. And I think UCF may be pressed at that point. Well, I, th- I think that at that, I think what you were seeing was Tulsa looked like the, Tulsa to me looked like a team that in the second, in the start of the second half, they felt like they were playing with house money. You know, I mean, they got they got the two touchdowns basically on two consecutive offensive plays, and even though they were down because of the missed extra point, they're like, you know what, we're running the football really well, and I think they had something going on defense, and that's where I thought the key. Okay, we'll talk. This is a good thing that we dovetail into the penalties here. Okay, because everyone's going to talk about the false starts and the snap infractions. There's really not much more we can say about that that hasn't already been said. But I thought that that targeting call on on Jakaius Cradle uh, was a huge play because UCF was starting to move the football. It was late third quarter. Um, they'd gotten a couple of first downs and. And on a second and 12, they hit this big play. And they're in Tulsa territory. And Cradle made a fantastic catch. And given that a couple of guys had already gone down, I think Jacob Harris had left the game by that point with an injury. And we're like, okay, we got Cradle in here. He's, you know, he's 6'4". He can make something happen. And he makes a big play. And then all of a sudden, he gets, he gets hit with a targeting foul, which... By the by, the letter of the rule, right, Eric, is a, is the correct call. Yeah, they made the correct they call made, by the yeah, rule. He, they made they made the he, correct call by the by the rule because he is uh, because he was he was endangering himself basically. I, and I think you and I talked about this afterwards that you know I wish there was a different name for it than targeting because it implies that like Cradle is running around the secondary trying to headhunt somebody, and right. that's not the case, but. <clears throat> It's, but he, what he did in lowering his head was he placed himself and somebody else in danger. It's like it's like a reckless. It almost feels like a soccer foul, you know, it, it, like it's it's reckless play, and he gets booted out of the game. And UCF loses. You know, they they're instead of being on the Tulsa forty eight, they're on their own thirty seven. All right, and then you know they they got a couple plays after that, but then you know another false start, a delay a game. And then all of a sudden, it's fourth and twenty-four, and they're punting. And you ha- you go from being in Tulsa territory and moving the ball to you're kicking it back to them, and they're down one at the end of the third. And I thought that was a huge, huge sequence. Um, you know, and, and that kind of flipped the game because on the next possession, 
um, <clears throat> Tulsa went in and they scored a touchdown. And uh, and all of a sudden they were leading 31-26 in the fourth. And, you know, I don't know. It, it feels like the team, it feels like UCF gets tight when they're down. You know, that's, that's the hard part. It, it, it's... Uh, this team gets very tight when they're down, in particular when they're when they were down to Tulsa in the fourth quarter. It's not like their offense couldn't could, well, c- couldn't come point. back and score. I mean, they were down one score. It's not like they can go, they couldn't go down there and and score seven points to answer, but they didn't. Well, and they were physical. Tulsa was very physical uh, on the line of scrimmage, and that's where it started. What what was your reaction, Murph, when the, the cradle play happened there? What would you what was your reaction in the press box there? I was interested because you're not expecting that. That call doesn't usually get made. And, you know, Josh Heupel said after the game, it's only the second time he has seen it as a coach that you get targeting on the offensive player. Uh, So that was interesting. I will say, I I don't think that play is going to be talked about by the coaches this week other than, like, can you believe they called it? You might see that as an influential play because of how it turned out. But there are penalties that this team is going to live with, and that's going to be definitely one of them. Because although he gets called for targeting there, you're not going to fault Jakaias for being physical in that instance. And they they don't want to sort of take that out of him. They want to obviously clean up like, hey, by the way, you can't lower your head into somebody else. But, you know, this team has said constantly in the past, like, you know, when there's there's fouls like that, or when when there's fouls that deal with physicality, they can forgive that more often than your pre-snap, post-snap stuff. So I don't look at just from a, a general overview. I don't look at targeting call as something that that, that, that is going to really piss off the coaches. Something they need to fix. Well, it's it such happened. a random play. It's a random play. Like it's not like something like it's not one of those things where it's happening. It was a, it was a flukish type of deal. There. Yeah. Like I, I think yeah. it was. I think it was also surprising because earlier. There was another targeting call on UCF on defense that looked like that, that I think looked more egregious in the moment that was right. that did not result in an ejection. It was on Josh Seliscar right. when he came around on the stunt unblocked and absolutely blew up Zach Smith. Yeah. And it did look like that although although Seliscar came in with his head up, it did look like that his helmet, the bot like his face mask clashed some bit with Smith's helmet. And it was ruled to, to to be overturned. They did not. They overturned the targeting. He stayed in the game. So it, that's weird. I will just say they are more willing to forgive fouls that happen in the flow of the game more so than all of the pre-snap, post-snap stuff. So you know we get we'll get. I mean, look, I don't know if we want to talk too much about the false starts because again, it's been spoken at nauseum. Yeah. People are upset about it. We know it's an issue. It's been an issue all year. This team has now gone from six to eight to 11 false starts in three games. It's literally five-ninths of their entire entire penalty count. What is it, 20, 20, 25 out of 45? Is that right? It's 25 wow. out of 45 are wow. false starts. Um, and But also, like, Alex, like you said, Eric, Alex Ward throwing the guy's helmet away after the punt is ridiculous. Back-to-back plays in the fourth quarter in which defensive linemen, I believe it was Randy Charlton and Chris Loach, Line up offsides on back-to-back plays. You can't do that. Um, didn't, you see, that didn't UCF get called for an offensive offsides too in this game? I don't know about that. What, what is what is that exactly? Uh, what, well, is, lit- well, literally. Uh, I mean, an offense can, an offensive player can line up offsides. I thought I saw in the box score that they did. Um, maybe I'll go back and look at it. But 
Um, like, you know, a wide receiver who's like on the line. If your helmet's in the neutral zone, you're offside. I've seen that call before, too. There might have been a legal formation, but I didn't hear that call explicitly. I'm just saying that, again, back to what we're discussing as a big play in the game. Yes, the credible play, because the way it turned out was big, the coaches are not going to harp on him for that because it right. happened in the full game of being physical. The right, issue is, and yeah. always has been, the pre-snap, post-snap stuff, which is dumb and fixable, and it's a good thing they have two Is weeks. it? Is well, it fixable, though, is going to be the question. Well, we say that, but I have some disturbing numbers that might suggest that it may that this is not as quick of a fix as we think. Now, first of all, I want to encourage the, our listeners. We uh, Luke Saris did a Q&A with Aaron Evans and Jordan McCray. So those are the two most qualified. Those two are a lot more qualified, I think, you guys would agree, than the three of us, right? So we're not going <laughs> to blow up the offensive line and break down. Those two have did an uh, in-depth job of what is wrong and what they think is the solution i really strongly encourage you to check to read that if you got yes if you only got to read you know read that because that is an incredible stuff from the offensive line standpoint here's my concern and it goes beyond the pre-snap and, and, and all this penalty stuff this is now going back to last year this is interesting in the since josh heupel took over as head coach this is the 10th time okay in the 29 games that UCF's had 10 or more penalties since he's taken over. Seven of those 10 times have happened in the last 10 games going back to last year. Three, uh, Four of the last five games, they've had 10 or more penalties. Five, it, it, and, and you look at it, three, three, four of those, they've had 11 or more penalties. This has been going back. This is like a continuation of last year. Now, they, you know, there's some different infractions. They didn't have as many false starts as last year. But this is a continuation of, of penalties. And I said this on last week's show. They, they, they're playing sloppy. Some, I don't know if some of this is the fact that players have develop, deliver, uh, developed bad habits and maybe are confident that they can just overcome any penalty and they haven't uh, – because something everybody wants to blame the coaches, and maybe there's some, there is some extent to that. But I wonder sometimes if players just – when you win, when you're scoring – like last week, right, Jeff, we were saying, ah, they overcame 18 penalties, they scored 50 points and all that. In a player's mind, I wonder if that's going through their mind. Hey, this is not a big deal because we're overcoming this because we've overcome it. And it's starting – you know, and they've developed some bad habits. And then I think there's you know the factor that the offensive line is not playing as well. Uh, that they did say in 2017 and 2018. I think those are those are my concerns that I had even leading up to this game. I didn't think it would you know cost them this game necessarily, but it, it's still a concern moving forward. Well, I think that I, I think that what what you're talking about, particularly with the offensive line, it's a factor. It's the inexperience factor. You know, we have four, you got four new starters on the offensive line this year. You know, and and I, I think that's easy for people to, to forget that. You know, last year, the last two years, UCF is out of an extremely experienced offensive line. This year, you know, you're starting four new guys. Um, in addition, Parker Boudreaux, who's been around for a while, he was out. He actually revealed on Twitter that he was part of the concussion protocol. So, I mean, so your only really returning lineman was was Cole Schneider last night. Any lineman with any experience beyond this year, right? Uh, so, Jeff, so I was going to let you go after the first mistake, but I can't let you go after the second mistake. Okay. Again, All right, go ahead. Uh, so, Sam Jackson is not a new starter. Sam Jackson's been a starter right. at different positions since last year. So, he and Cole Schneider are definite returning starters. 
And then Ed Collins started a handful of games last year. He ended the year as a starter. So, again, you can argue there's like at least two new starters, uh, but but probably not three because you got to give Ed that experience. Definitely not four ever. I was thinking so, back to the preseason article. So, yeah, you're right. You're right. Thank you, Murph. But um, – Thinking back to although what we what we talked about before with with well let me you know, explain that has, on that that has been talked about is you know Matt Lee he's he's inexperienced yeah. back there and you know that that's going to come you know I mean Jordan Johnson was a freshman too at one point although I think well, I, I think what's key about that was that I think when Jordan refresh my memory uh, Murph when Jordan was a freshman he was a guard is that right and then he moved over to quite a bit, yeah yeah so yeah. at least he had kind of that going for him where he's not making line calls as a true freshman I mean that's. That's a tough job. We're going to talk to Andrew Glukov in a second about that. Well, and, but, right, Eric, go right, ahead and right, make right. your point before we go to break. I want to expand, though, on this. Youth, I mean, you can talk about youth. Let's let's not – and I think we've kind of dismissed this like it's no big deal. Trey Nixon, obviously, has been out yeah. since the Georgia Tech game. you got some young guys there. Jalen Robinson, you mentioned Cradle. He's a young receiver. Uh, as we saw at the end of the game in, in the running back situation, you're playing some young guys. That does contribute – to how you're lining up. It's not all the offensive line. And, you know, some people I listened to brought up the fact, you know, some of this also falls on the quarterback, Dylan Gabriel, that you got to make sure everybody's lined up before you snap the ball and call for the ball. Uh, I think it's a comp. I don't, th- I think it's unfair to just point it at one position, you know, one guy or one position in the offensive line. It's a, it's in a, a group of guys. And I do wonder if sometimes they're so worried about trying to go fast that that's disrupting, you know, that's causing some of these penalties. And I do think there's some youth on this roster and from the standpoint of maybe not just uh, you're talking about the offensive line. I'm talking about the, the skill position guys that Spot are on. playing a, a long time that I think, Murph, do you not agree with that? That that plays some factor in this too. You're not like Trey Nixon's a veteran guy. I think we have kind of done a, a disservice saying, I think they miss him. I really do think they miss Trey Nixon. I think we take it for granted because, hey, well, the next guy is just as talented. But Trey Nixon has experience. He has size. He's a guy that played with Dylan Gabriel all of last year that Dylan doesn't have right now. Yeah, I think all of this, like to put we can't put it all on one guy or two guys. It's a team-wide thing. And, I, and yeah, Matt Lee stands out because he's at the center of the line. He's gotten a lot of penalties. He had snap infractions. It's been difficult for him. Um, and you know, Josh Heupel admitted after the game that you know he he you know it's a t- it was a tough game for 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 Matt. I mean, not only with the, with the with the with the false starts and snap infractions, but he had a holding penalty late. He had some some of the snaps were really really b- bad. So uh, he had a bad game. I, I get that. Uh, but yeah, it is a team effort, and I don't want to then say like, well, it's because of this guy, it's because of that guy. Like it's 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 basically everybody at some point. And but to your point about the pace. Which I think is interesting is that I I don't know who asked the question, um, but Otis Anderson said after the game, Otis Anderson was asked after the game about the penalties, and I'll read you his direct quote. He goes, we've just got to get set. That's really what it is. Trying to push the tempo so much that we're not making sure we're set. It can be one. It can be just one person that's just getting uh, getting to the line, and we're getting ready, but he's not ready for a second. That causes the penalties that we get. Yep. Um, and so, I, 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 while I do think the, the reasons are myriad, uh, I do think the pace has something to deal with it, especially when the players themselves are saying that. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. And it's funny how we're talking about how UC fast, UCF fast is going too fast. But, um, and by the way, before we go to break, just the the sheer volume of injuries now that UCF is going to have to deal with in this in this two week break. 
All right, Richie yeah. Grant, Marlon Williams, both of those were absolutely frightening. Um, well, and most 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 fans probably missed the Marlins Williams injury. Yeah, he was down on the field long after the game was over. Yeah. yeah, I was I was following you, Murph, on the Twitter with the updates, and then I was listening on the radio broadcast for the post game because television obviously signed off uh, mm-hmm. from the game. So that that was kind of scary to hear that even on the radio. And then obviously with your tweets, but that was there was a ton of guys getting knocked out yeah. from that game. Uh, and my question here is to you both on that. We discussed this in the preseason show with the the unusual un, uh, unique off season with no, the lack of spring the lack of summer you're into the fall how much of that is contributing to these injuries how much of this is being the fact that mckenzie milton's injury aside this team for the most part has been pretty fortunate from a health standpoint the last 3 years certainly in 17 up until the milton injury they were pretty healthy in 18 i know they've had some nips and but nothing you know, you wonder if some of this is like you're, you know, bad. You know, sometimes some years you're just going to have a ton of injuries. Where do you put that as far as all that's concerned, oh. as far as causing these injuries? Oh, certainly that's a major factor. Certainly the, you know, the the unusual. Remember, everybody in a football team is a creature of habit, right? And so when you disrupt the habit, you have basically no spring ball. You have a very un, unorthodox summer practice session. Um uh, it, it's it, it was just weird, and, and you know I, I would I don't know I would have to I would have to see exactly what the injuries were because I don't think you know there's a difference between like wear and tear type injuries or or you know missed conditioning injuries and then sheer accidents right uh, you know I, I thought that I'll run through the guys that are hurt and we have no news on any of them uh, you know right now we have not talked to Josh Heupel. Uh, all week, and we won't talk to him until Thursday morning, and that'll be the only time we talk to him this week. Uh, it'll be the only time we talk to anybody, actually, this week. Uh, and so we'll see what Josh Hype wants to say on Thursday, but if you've been following along the first four, three or four weeks, you know the answer probably is going to be not much because he doesn't like to say anything about injuries. Um, but also, it I understand the the desire to tie a rash of injuries to the shortened and and, and different and, and awkward preseason and lack of summer camp, lack of spring ball. But there really – there's no way there's enough of a base there to quantify that to say that's absolutely true because teams suffer rashes of injuries all the time in football because it's a physical game. And a lot of these injuries that UCF is suffering, certainly with with Marlon, uh, with Richie Grant – uh, and and Parker Boudreau and Marlon Williams, I would assume all of those look like they were concussion related. We know Parker Boudreau's was as a concussion because he suffered it uh, before the season started. He has not played all year. He's been in the protocol since before the Georgia Tech game. Uh, and then and then Richie Grant gets knocked out, and he was on the field, uh, you know, flat for a few minutes. Marlon Williams at the very end goes to jump up for the Hail Mary pass at the last play of the game. And unfortunately, Amari Johnson lands square on him, just lands right on his chest. And Marlon was down for a handful of minutes, worked his way back up to a knee, and he was on his knee for another handful of minutes before walking off the field very, very, very slowly. He had a trainer on each side of him holding his arms, uh, so it just seemed like he was completely dazed. And yes, there are lots of injuries, and I'll run through them all in a second before I finish my screed. But I, I think it's somewhat irresponsible to say it's because of the lack of training camp. It could be a reason, but we obviously do not know that reason. 
because other teams mm-hmm. aren't suffering as many injuries. Other teams are suffering a lot of injuries. Right. You Everybody's gone through this. Everybody's gone through this. So it's not like every other every team's having the amount of injuries. And that's why I brought up right. the question of maybe this is just one of those years where you're going to have a bunch of injuries. Like in past years, maybe you didn't have injuries. It's just random, yeah. right? Like the, the analytic crowd calls it injury luck. It is. And so I think for me, I'd be more swayed to say it's bad luck because these have had great luck and now it's bad luck. And there's nothing you can ascribe to that other than luck. And so other teams are healthier than UCF and UCF's got a ton of guys who are banged up and and they've all gone through the the same weird camp basically in the fall. And to say that this is because of the camp thing, there's, there's, then there's, you got these other teams that are healthy that are saying, well, what's, what's, what do they do right? What do they do right? Uh, Probably nothing. It's just luck. So but as we go to break, I'll list the guys who are hurt, and it's a long list, and there's some notable names on here, obviously. So Parker Boudreaux hasn't played all season because of a concussion. Uh, Trey Nixon landed on his shoulder, scoring a touchdown against Georgia Tech. We have gotten, we have not gotten an official word on what his injury is. It's hilarious that Josh Heupel keeps saying, you know, we don't have an update on him. Um, again, Josh doesn't want to say anything about injuries, but, you know, it's some sort of collarbone slash shoulder injury. We know that just the way he was walking off the field and the way he landed. We don't know when he's coming back. Landon Woodson, who's a, uh, a backup defensive end, hasn't played in the last two games. We have no idea why he hasn't played. Greg McRae was out, was uh, was basically on the sideline for the second half of this game without his shoulder pads on. Um, uh, Bentavious Thompson was sitting on the bench with a towel over his head for the second half of the game. Otis Anderson took on much of the workload because uh, of those injuries, but it seemed like he dinged up his right knee late in that game, and he didn't play the last couple of series, which is why you saw Demarius Good and Johnny Richardson on offense late in that game. And you could, But you could see Otis, before he came out of the game, grabbing at his right knee after a few plays. Uh, Marlon Williams, as I talked about, uh, had the scary incident at the end of the game. Richie Grant, Richie Grant got knocked out. I mean, I think we can say he got knocked out on a play where he lowered his head and missed the rest of the game. And Antoine, and Antoine Collier didn't play much of the second half either. He was That's on the sideline. That's your starting safeties. Right. They're both, yes. Both your starting safeties, guys who've been starters for multiple seasons, did not play basically most of the second half of this game. I don't know what was wrong with Collier. He was walking around like with Otis Anderson, like as with Otis Anderson. They're both walking around in full uniform, um, but they were not playing. Uh, and then I'll, I'll just add I'll just add in for good measure that Jermaine McMillan looked like he got his lights turned out for a little bit, but he did come back in. That's your that's your number three safety, by the way, but he did come back in. And Jacob Harris, yes, he was limping off before the end of the half. He did come back in for the third quarter. He actually was on the field right before that uh, Jakaius Cradle uh, targeting call. He's the guy who drew the pass interference in the middle of the field to get UCF in that position. Um, So it looked like he made it through that game, but I'm sure he's not 100% either. So, you know, some pretty damn big names there. (laughs) I mean – Murph, I thought Richie Grant was the best player on the field prior when he got hurt. I mean, he was yeah. flying all over the field. He had an interception, uh, Jay, and he was all over the place in that secondary. He really looked more. I mean, he had some picks last year that he dropped. I mean, he, you know, we, he's probably not, he's probably not going to get six interceptions again like he did two years ago. But he probably should have had more than he had last year when he when he dropped some. But he's just a really really good center field safety, and he showed it again in this game. He can fool, he, you know, he can make quarterbacks, you know, make bad decisions with the way he shades, uh, shades the field. And so, yeah, losing him, losing Collier. I mean, we, I know we talk about the offensive players and, and then the, how far they're down with offensive players. But like, man, I think the most important thing is like those safeties, especially going into Memphis. Like, are they going to have their starting safeties against Brady White and company? They really need those guys. Yeah. 
We were just talking Damn. about this. We were just talking about this year coming into this year that the secondary was the strength of the team, and then, I mean, look what's going on. <laughs> you know, I mean, all these guys might be out. So, uh, bottom line is this uh, week off could not come at a better time. Amen to that. And oh by the gosh. way, I'm never, I'm never, I'm picking Tulsa from now on the rest of my life. I'm just <laughs> anytime we're playing Tulsa in men's basketball, at Tulsa, or we're just playing them in football. I'm just gonna pick Tulsa. That's it. I, I, I tap out. <laughs> Total reverse psychology play. <laughs> Gotta try. You know something. what? You're that's not. Whatever, you're not the only. Not you're, you're not the only one. You're, I bet. I, I know you're not the only one who's gonna do that. All right. When we come back. We're gonna talk with uh, Andrew Glukov, who um, uh, broke down the game right afterwards. Uh, gives us some insight. You know? Did you know guys know Andrew played center when he was in high school? So he's got some insight on how that on how that all went down and what he was seeing from the game. What UCF has to do. Uh, when they play Memphis uh, in uh, not this coming weekend, but the following weekend. Stick around. Black and Gold Banner Podcast. We'll be right back. All right. Welcome back. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, Brian Murphy here with you on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast, where you can follow us at UCF underscore Banneret, Facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banneret, and of course, Black and Gold Banneret.com, where we are your home for UCF sports on SB Nation. And joining us now... Uh, Stat Boy Drew on Twitter. He's one of our writers here at Black and Gold Banneret, and you know him from his uh, knee-jerk reactions columns, imme- which uh, t- which go up immediately following uh, each of the first three games. And so far, those have been getting some really good plays so far. Andrew Glukov joining us on the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. And Drew, thanks for uh, spending some time with us. The kids are in bed, right? Oh well, yeah, absolutely. You know, <laughs> I had I, I made sure everything's taken care of in this camp, so I am all yours. Awesome. Okay. So, all right. I learned something about you that I didn't know this week, and that is that you played center in high school, and you also okay. Before we get to that, you almost, almost we can say, played center for UCF in a way, didn't you? Well, I was a long snapper, and that was one of the things my dad always stressed on me learning. Uh, being undersized, uh, I stopped growing, so I'm actually a sliver under five foot ten. But I wrestled. I'm I was stocky, and I knew how to hit people, so I was able to play bigger than I was. So I long snapped, and the UCF football team in 2002 and 2003 did not have a good long snapper, so I considered walking on and trying out. But I psyched myself out. Uh, in high school, I had both my shoulders reconstructed. It ended my sports career. Yikes. Uh, really before, yeah. Sh- uh, shredded both labrums while wrestling over a period of two years. And that was the end of that. In fact, I considered trying out for the UCF club wrestling team. And my mom talked me out of that for risk of future injury. But seriously, I nearly walked on. My concern was... Because of my injuries, I can't really bench press, and I think it's more mental than anything else. And I didn't think the coaching staff would take me seriously because of it. But in two years, two plus years that I long snapped, I had one bad snap up in Ohio where it was 29 degrees and I couldn't feel my hands and lofted it over my six foot four punter. <laughs> so it's like you, that. Now you you should at least get a you should have at least gotten a tryout just based on that. Like, you can fling the ball back there, which, you know, it, it, now as a New York Giants fan, having lived through the Trey Junkin game, I know for a fact that that's not an easy job. But It's not. It's <laughs> not. And, and, the, and the funny, the funnier part of that whole, that same game is I was the starting center for the team, and it got to the point where one down, I tried snapping the ball. My hand moved. The ball didn't. 
because I had no feeling in my hands. I couldn't squeeze down it, and I had to snap two-handed on a direct snap the rest of the game. Wow, really? Okay. Well, listen, all your uh, frozen night time, Ohio night, snapping things aside, you know a thing or two about playing center, all right? And I thought you did a marvelous breakdown of um, of what was going on with the offensive line uh, in your knee-jerk reactions column. Can you just summarize what you saw? Because you, you've kind of been there. Obviously not at the college level, I get that. But, but you have experience doing this that it, we dorks don't. So what, what were you seeing out there uh, with that offensive line on Saturday? Well, let me start by saying playing center is the second hardest position on the field behind quarterback, bar none. I agree. And you're the guy on the line who has to make all the reads and calls. You're looking at the the defensive linemen, the ends, the linebackers. Are they showing blitz? You have to point out line assignments. So you have to move. You have to be able to move your head a little bit, and especially your eyes. The better you can build your peripheral vision, the better. Uh, and and we're seeing, you know, with with the last game where where Matley struggled with that a little bit, because think about it, you're crouched in a modified three point stance. You're not able to rest a little bit on your hand. You're on the ball. But because you're on the ball, you actually have to lean back a little bit so that when you turn your body, you don't turn the ball. And that's what started happening is you lean forward a little bit. Weight starts going on the ball. You turn. Not only do you create a snap infraction because you've moved the ball, but your rhythm's gone. If you've noticed, every time there was a snap infraction penalty, the snap went went long. Yeah. And the reason why is when you're doing a shotgun snap, you're letting go of the ball partway when your arm is still going back so that you don't put much air underneath it. Your rhythm's knocked off. You're now releasing late. Your arm's already starting to come up, and the ball's going to get some air time. I mean, I picked that right out. Like, oh, that that's what happened. You know, his, it's all about rhythm. And because if you don't have, if you let go too soon, the ball's at its feet. So you, you develop that rhythm that it should always be about waistline so that he can catch it and pull the ball up. So... Based on that, all right, are is that well? Let me ask you something based on what Eric was talking about before we went to break. That's a correctable issue, though, right? Absolutely, it's very correctable. And, and you know, in the case of of Matt Lee, he's young. He's in a, he, there. There's not as much collegiate experience. Uh, this is a you know, this is a tough year. Uh, depth is down. You know. A lot of fans are saying, well, send someone in. There was really no one else to put in. Right. Uh, th- there's a there's a depth issue. And we have to accept the fact that, you know, the program and it's not just UCF. It's everyone nationwide has depth issues. People are hurt. They've opted out. Uh, and, and you can't just retool and bring someone off the streets and play a position like center. That requires a lot of training and work. It's not just, oh, I'm going to just block a guy in front of me no as i said before you've got to catch all these line reads and make adjustments for them or else uh, you have a, a a sack an eight yard loss or or something else happens because you didn't make the correct line calls and and the other thing i want i wanted to highlight is you know think about being that crouch position that's not comfortable for a small guy imagine being a big guy you're wearing a helmet and pads putting your head up to be able to survey the field is not easy to do. 
it's it's unnaturally uncomfortable because you're pushing your helmet against the back of the shoulder pads and you're stretching your neck up and you have to be able to read and not move anything else. And that's tough, especially when you start tiring out. That that becomes really difficult. So if you were so if you were coaching Matt Lee, what would you tell him this week? Well, one, I would work on balance. Uh, that was actually the, the, the biggest thing I, w- I would do is work on, on a balance drill. You know, work on leaning back, putting more weight on, on your feet and away from your hand in that model and that three point stance over the ball. If you can do work on that, then you can be able to, to not worry about the ball moving when I shift my body a little bit to the left. Uh, shift a little bit to the right just so I can see where those defensive ends, maybe outside linebackers are, are loading up. Cool. Gosh, that's great insight. Thank you so much. Um, uh, let me hand it over to uh, Murph and Elo for any questions that they had for you. Well, Andrew, I just, you know, this is more less of a center thing, but more of just a football thing as you're sort of watching that game. And I think we can, this is sort of a dovetailing and something we can all get into. What is something that you saw from that game that you wanted to see UCF do more or something that you think they should do more going forward? They need to slow down. Uh, that's where a lot of these false start penalties are coming from. There, there is such thing as going too fast, and that's what we're seeing is they're going too fast. They're not set. I mean, three or four false start penalties over the last two games, maybe five, were because a player was not set for one second. It means they're rushing the snap. They need to slow down a little bit, and I know the offense is built on speed, a little bit of misdirection, tire your opponent, don't give them a chance to set, but if you as the offense aren't set, it doesn't matter what the defense does because you've already screwed up. So I think they need to take a step back. Understand this is, you know, there there's inexperience especially on the line. You have to, and and the wide receiving core. You know, Jalen Robinson had had a couple of penalties himself. He wasn't set long enough. You know, give these give these guys a little bit of a learning curve, help, and slow the game down a little bit. You know, UCF has a very fast team, and if they slow down a little bit, I think it would help. You know, keep momentum going by not having those 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 bad penalties. The other thing I'd love to see, and this was hammered about over the last couple of days is open up the middle of the field. The middle third is, is a ghost town. And because UCF almost never touches it, defenses are giving it, you know, set them, you know, they've set themselves up to, to take advantage and they're, and they're not doing it. That's what I would do in that case. Yeah. I, I wanted to point out uh, Anthony Lenahan, squints underscore 15 on Twitter had a great column for us. Uh, uh, this week uh, where he went into a lot of depth on that and he actually has a heat map in the column. You can check it out on the site where uh, it, where he shows how UCF's offense, uh, the areas of the field that they attack more than the national average and less than the national average and they attack the sidelines outside the numbers much more than the national average and they attack the middle of the field much less than the national average. I thought that was absolutely fascinating. And, and, um, and I think, and I think you're right about that. It's, well, I mean, well, I know you're right about that because the analytics bear that out. (laughs) You know, it's, you can't really, you you can't really go into much more detail than that. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's just a, it's just a straight up fact. And I wonder how they're going to, you know, how they're going to do that because if defenses know that that's the play, 
I mean, it, it, like you said, it becomes pretty um, easy to defend. Elo, you go ahead. Well, I think, first of all, Andrew, I'm glad you brought up the fact about slowing down. Uh, because I think some fans were like, well, they're going too slow. They need to go faster. Here's the thing. If you're not executing, I don't care what tempo you're going, you're not going to be successful. And if you're a really good offense, you should be able to be successful in any tempo. I, I just don't believe if you're banking your success on going fast, you got problems. Um, you know, everybody wants to make a big deal about you see fast. But if you go back to 2017 and 2018, it wasn't like they were going fast all the time. Yes, they went fast an X amount of time, but there were times where they didn't. They went slow. They can mix up the tempo, and I think that's a good factor you brought up. You know, how much of this, and I brought this up earlier, you know, people are going to, you know, you mentioned Lee and all that, and I think there was a valve, but you mentioned Jalen Robinson. I'm glad you did that. It's not like it's just one guy lining up incorrectly. How much of this, too, is Dylan Gabriel's responsibility to say, hey, I, I got to make sure that everybody's lined up before we snap the ball. Isn't that too as much on Dylan, too? I think it's a whole group of guys here that got to get on the same page, and they're clearly not, in my opinion. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. Uh, in fact, every false start that's attributed to the players not all being set falls on Dylan Gabriel. That's part of the quarterback's job is to survey and make sure his players are ready. If they're not ready, don't snap the ball. Don't call for it. Uh, I mean, that's that's I don't want to say common sense because I, I don't want to you know, I don't want to view that as as he's not good. But he, he is working to try to move so quick that he's he's basically forcing on, you know, errors that don't need to exist. And, and let's look at the numbers. Look at the numbers. You, you were talking about slowing down and, and being efficient. You know, I pulled up the last four years of team stats from 17 to 20, you know, 2017. 8.4 penalties a game for 68 yards. 2018, 7.5 penalties for 65 yards. 2019, 8.5 penalties for 73 yards, and that was a team record uh, for the year. I believe it was 111 penalties on the year. 2020, 15 penalties for 104.7 yards. Uh, even with nine regular season games, they're on pace to shatter the the, the record. And the thing is, those prior years had experience, had lots of experience. They didn't have freshmen, you know, on the line. They didn't have freshmen as wide receivers. Uh, and, you know, with Mackenzie Milton as quarterback, he, he recognized that as in you know, 2016 you know, was his own learning year himself. Uh, Gabriel just needs to slow down. I, I don't think that it's going to be the end of the world if they give up two seconds on the play clock instead of snapping at 32 that they snap at 30, 29, 28. I don't think it's going to make a, a real big lick of difference because you're, you're doing it so quick as it is. Defenses still can't make substitutions. And that's what that fast is all about. Hmm. Yeah. It's uh, one of the things that we hear all the time is, well, well, we're so used to going fast. That's just what we do. But to me, I, I don't see, I don't know. Someone tell me about this because I, I I'm I'm wonder. You know, we hear all the time about like the four minute offense that teams that teams try to play, especially like when UCF's up. You know, they they tend to move. They tend to stay at the line a little bit longer, and you can see them kind of milking the clock a little bit. Is it that hard of an adjustment for an offense that's so used to going fast, 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 fast to suddenly hit the brakes like that? I, I do think so. I do think so because that is your like you could say you can change the tempo, 
but you have a natural you do have a natural rhythm you do have like a homeostasis where the 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 the, the way they usually run their offense is at a certain speed and so to say we need to eliminate that you know for for long periods for long stretches uh that that isn't really how they've practiced and so yeah i think they can do it at times but to say that they need to slow down for long stretches for quarters to make sure everyone's set up I don't. I think that is an issue that everyone needs to get adjusted to because that's not how they've played nor practiced traditionally. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I do think it's an issue. Interesting. Okay. Well, here we are. We have what a week. Well, now we have about a week and a half until the next game on uh, against uh, against Memphis on uh, in the Liberty Bowl next uh, Saturday. ABC three thirty. We're not going to preview that game here. We're going to um, do that in next week's show primarily. But um, we remember the last time UCF was in Memphis. It was. Kind of Josh Heupel's uh, first big trial by fire, and uh, his first win in a really close game too. There was that thirty-one thirty game with Mackenzie Milton uh, with, with the with the uh, flip around touchdown, the comeback from halftime uh, to keep the winning streak alive. Uh, and uh, in addition to that, you know, obviously the fourth and one run from uh, from Taj McGowan that I thought really solidified Coach Heupel's. You know, stature with the players in terms of how much they trusted him as the, as a first year head coach coming in. Um, this is play, it was the best play of the season. Yeah, fourth and one. Yeah, and, and so now this kind of feels like a different kind of crossroads a little bit, don't you? Don't you? Uh, and I'll start with Eric here. Uh, that it's that that the need to recover from a performance like what happened against Tulsa at home is critical. And what would that and would Memphis give him the opportunity? I mean, we talk, you know, UCF fans like to make fun of Brady White, but this guy's a senior now and he's one of the he is one of the best quarterbacks in the conference. What is what would this look like? And you can't just tell me, oh, well, it would look like a win because, of course, it would. but what would that what would that return to normalcy look like? If it happens, they have to clean up the penalties. And I think Andrew's brought up they got to get better play in the offensive line. They got to get better in sync. Look. And we'll get into this more next week. But the UCF Memphis game, your season's on the line here for both teams. This is a must win for both sides. Both sides are going to be coming off a loss. Memphis lost at on the road to SMU. They already got one loss. UCF's got a loss in the league. And remember, there's no division play. Right. Okay. It's not like in the past where if you lost a team in the from the West, no big deal because all you have to do is beat your teams in the East and you're going to get in. You, whoever loses this game, and you're talking about two programs that have combined won the last three American Conference championships, the loser of this game will have two conference losses, which is a big problem when you consider tiebreakers. So, for example, if UCF were to lose to Memphis, you've got two losses, and you lose the tiebreaker to a Memphis, you lose a tiebreaker to a Tulsa. Uh, that that could be all she wrote. Same thing for Memphis. So uh, this is a pivotal game. I like the fact there's a bye week because they've got to regroup. My question, Andrew, is can some of these issues be fixed in time for that game? I, I think they can be. And it all falls back on 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 really more Dylan Gabriel than it does on on Matt Lee or Jalen Robinson or, or really anyone else on the offensive line that was just struggling to to kind of get set and find a groove. It, it's it, it's gonna fall on the quarterback shoulders. Uh, like most things do there there's added pressure to this game when, when you think about look at the history between memphis and ucf you know ucf's on a 13 game winning streak in the in this series they've snatched 
victory from the jaws and defeat more than once, not just last year. Uh, I remember 2013 very, very fondly where they went from trailing, scored a touchdown, and then knocked the ball out on the kickoff back. court for well, a yeah. back, right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I think Drico Johnson recovered it for, for the go-ahead touchdown, and they ended the game on an interception in the end zone on a trick play from the goal line. And that's how UCF won the game. So I, which is, you know, how you wish the pit game ended. Right. Uh, <laughs> but the, this series is a lot of extra weight on UCF shoulders because Memphis is gunning. You know, I think they circled this game more than they circled the SMU game. No question. No and, question about that. And they're angry. They're, they're, they're pissed, uh, especially, you know, 17, 18, you know, conference titles and, and potential New Year's six games on the line, and you fell both times, you know, in, in spectacular fashion. I mean, that just gets your blood boiling if you're a player. And, you know, don't let anyone tell you <laughs> that. And, and this goes back to, to all the naysayers, not UCF fans, but naysayers saying like Auburn wasn't ready for the. Don't let anyone tell you that a player is not jacked up for a big game. They're jacked up for a big game. This is a huge game for Memphis. Uh, this is, you know, this can be viewed as the regular season Super Bowl for them to get this monkey off their back, and it's gonna fall on Dylan Gabriel's shoulders to do something. It's either slow down, work on cadence, change your cadence, because as we saw with East Carolina, they were barking out cadences and throwing the the offensive line off off hilt. Yeah, and it was causing penalties so you, you've got to change something up what you have isn't working what year was it that uh, memphis last beat ucf in a football game 1990 1990 it was the, ucf wasn't even uh a it was a division two school at the time one double a one double a oh no you're right they just made the jump to one double a yeah. i apologize uh they just made the jump to one double a and they didn't play each other for another 15 years when UCF joined Conference USA. So as an FBS member, UCF is 13-0 and against Memphis. And, and yeah, that stings <laughs> for the opposing side. Imagine how UCF feels about Tulsa. It's only that much worse for Memphis. Yeah, I can imagine so. 1990, that was the year UCF not upset Youngstown State in the playoffs. Right. The uh, 1AA there. Lost, I lost to you. Memphis 37-28 in the Liberty Bowl that yeah. year. So Liberty. go ahead, Eric. Uh, we, we've spent so much time on the offense. Andrew, I want your thoughts defensively. Uh, I thought the pass rush, the lack of pass rush is a little bit of a concern. Uh, I thought Smith had a lot of time and made some great throws in the second half. We talked about in the in the previous segment about the injuries to the secondary, Richie Grant and Collier. We won't know their status, let's be honest, until game time probably. Is that a fair assessment, Murph? We probably were not going to know anything really, but, of, but, I, I would think. The exact words will be no update on them. We'll see a game time. Exactly we'll hear about <laughs> tell, sure we can I'll tell Dan Forcella to actually write that into the transcript right now. I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure I'll tweet out whatever Heifel says about injuries tomorrow, and then people will yell at me saying, why do you care? He always says that. Well, that's because people ask about, is this guy okay? Do you know what's going on with this guy? Do you have any update on this guy? We have to ask. We'll get no update. We know we'll get no update. Um, boy, it's a fool's errand, but I do look forward to being in Memphis. I do look forward to being in Memphis next week for what is going to be one of the most hotly anticipated pregame warmups that UCF has ever seen. 
That's what 2020 is all about, baby. But, uh, Andrew, I want your thoughts on the defense. And then I mentioned in the beginning, nobody's talked about this. I thought the special teams was just as big of a a letdown and a factor in the loss against Tulsa when you miss a 21-yard field goal. You had a dumb penalty where your long snapper takes a helmet from Tulsa and throws it out. Uh, The fumble kickoff return, which is a huge, significant play. Give me your thoughts on what you've seen from the defensive side of the ball that needs to get better on the special teams. Well, let me start with special teams. There's only one guy on the special teams that deserves kudos, and that's the punter, uh, Andrew Osteen. Um, He was outstanding, and and I have to give him a lot of credit. You know, um, being a long snapper, I nearly jumped out of my seat and through the television when I saw Alex Ward take that helmet and chuck it. I blew a gasket. And I'm usually very calm during games, but I was livid. I don't I believe you most... for one second, by the way. No, no, I really am. <laughs> let me let me tell you a, a real quick segue story, and you know, complete non sequitur story. It's the UCF SMU 2010 Conference Championship game, and I have season tickets with my wife. We're sitting about nine rows back on the 40 yard line on the visiting side, and I don't know if you guys remember, there was a missed face mask call. Uh, on Jeff Godfrey as he was nearing the end zone. And my wife jumps up and starts screaming her head off about the missed call. And I became the smallest man in the room. I was like, oh, oh, God, is this really happening? I have SMU players looking up, wondering who the hell is making this noise? And I'm like, oh, God. Did June Terry, Jones you, look back at you? <laughs> I don't know if he did, but I saw players sitting on the bench wondering, like, what the heck is that? And I'm like, Terry, the only difference is half a yard in first down. I don't care. They were wrong. <laughs> That's fantastic. Your your wife is an MVP, man. God, oh, That's fantastic. Hey, she she loves she loves you know certain beers, but she loves ciders. She loves nachos. She loves football. She's a keeper. Yeah, definitely a keeper. Definitely a keeper. So what? Okay, so. The, we're happy with the specialty. You you kind of lost it, what you're saying with the yeah. mask. Oh, I I oh, did. The, oh, I, the helmet. I I lost in the th- and, and that's the really stupid penalties. You know, I understand uh, ex- the execution stuff that that can be worked on. Um, that's what practice is for. There is not a lick of excuse for doing something stupid like throwing a helmet or 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 taunting or any of these you know unsportsmanlike calls. There's no no there's no you know, place for that. If you recall, it was on sportsmanlike conduct that gave LSU the momentum that took over the game. Oh, in, we all do remember that one. Yeah, we do. Don't we remember that one, Murph? You were there. You remember that one. I mean, a little bit. It might have turned Joe Burrow into the number one pick in the draft. I know. A, but, a butterfly flaps its wings, and well, exactly. <laughs> but but to get back on to get on the defense, uh, one of the things that I've harped on a lot is that UCF primarily runs in the nickel defense. You know, four down linemen, two linebackers, and five defensive backs puts a lot of pressure on Eric Gilliard and Eric Mitchell, and and each one on different you know on different days got a little bit of flack from me. Both really stood out as uh, doing a great job against Tulsa. Uh, it wasn't until later in the game that they brought a third man down into the box, which which makes their life a lot easier. Uh, w- uh, we talked about during the the roundtable how Randy Charlton, you know, and the defensive line need to step up. Well, they did early on, and then it tapered off. Uh, the defense got tired. That's what it came down to. They gassed out, and that's why Tulsa aged like a fine wine. 
but they struggled in the first quarter, and then they just kept getting better and better as the game went on. They had a 230-pound running back, T.K. Wilkerson, that was just pounding them into submission, and, and there just wasn't enough rotation. There we go back to that lack of depth that's coming from 2020 that really started hurting. And, you know, you, Murph not, notwithstanding, but the you guys, you remember 2004 where depth was so bad, they're moving offensive guys yeah. to the defensive side of the ball, <laughs> which I will be mentioning in the 25th anniversary team that I'm working on right now. Oh, there's 2000, a plug. 2000, like yeah, that. it's good. 2004 leading tackler Brandon Marshall and leading interceptor Mike Walker, too, right? That's golly. I mean, isn't, that, isn't that terrible? I mean, if anyone ever tells you 2015 was the worst UCF team ever, slap them in the face and say you weren't there for 2004. I, I, I don't know about that. Two, two NFL wide receivers had to become defensive players. Things were the cupboard was that bare. You know what's interesting about that, Sandra? Because it's funny you bring this up. Because I was looking up stats as far as losses from uh, eight points or less. Because uh, you know, in the during the Georgia Leary era, and what surprised me a little bit, it might surprise you, that old four team actually had four games that were decided by eight points or less, including the infamous homecoming game against Ohio, I believe it was. Where yeah. they they had a chance to uh, win that game and Matt Pray- Matt Prater missed the extra point, uh, it then lost the game. They would have gone to another overtime. They had four games where they were right in it, whereas in 2015 they only had two games that was eight point or less, which was the opener against FIU, and then there was the I believe the Temple game on the road. That's it. So from a from a margin of victory, surprisingly, the 04 team actually had more, was more competitive than the 2015 team. Now, you could bring up other reasons why that is, and maybe it's not necessarily the talent per se, but I, I think there is a debate on which one's worse. I don't really want to get into it because I'm already depressed as it is over this loss in the current landscape, so we don't need to go back to the <laughs> winless years uh, uh, in that regard. But you know, I, I just want to jump on you and say that the 2015 played a much tougher schedule the best team that UCF had a one-score loss to in 2004 was Northern Illinois. They had a nine-win season. And then Akron at six. I mean, everyone else was terrible. They lost close <laughs> games to bad teams. I'm yeah, not the, saying I want to watch either team play again. I mean, I saw them both. I don't need to see it again. I mean, I'm, no, I'm all not, good. Not, yeah. at, not at all. But that, I, I will say 2015 was the most talented, crappy team I have ever seen. That's fair. Okay. All right. All right. All right. We'll have to talk about this some other time. In the meantime, let's let's not forget, and I want to wrap this up before we go to break. Um, there's still plenty for UCF to play for. Eric, you alluded to it earlier. This team can still win the conference championship. Um, all you have to be is one of the top two teams left in the conference, and there's still plenty of football left to be played. So everybody, uh, and I, I mentioned this in my 10 thoughts after the game. I just want to say this to all the fans. Everybody. Breathe. Andrew, everybody breathe. Like like what like what Aaron Rodgers said. Relax. Mindfulness has always been a good thing to do, especially during a pandemic, but especially for UCF fans this week. Just mindfulness. Yeah. I, I know we've been cooped up in the house for the better part of the last nine months, and it stinks. It really does. But guys, just take a breather. We'll be all, we'll be all right. We're going to be it, okay. It's, yeah, it's not the end of the world. All right. No, not in the big schemes. But this is – it's got to be. I mean, it's a cliche, and I know Murph hates this cliche, but it is one game at a time here. They, they, 
We can't think about – we can't talk about – one of the things we got to stop doing, we got to stop talking about, hey, are we better than Florida? Are we better than Miami? Are we in the – play? you know, they got to right now with this team, they just got to try to get better internally and worry about the Memphis game because until they improve and we see improvement on the field, I don't know if you agree with this, Andrew, we got to see improvement on the field. It's one thing to say it, but we got to see improvement because if they don't improve on the issues we've discussed on this episode, there will be another loss. In this in this in this schedule, and it might be in two weeks uh, after you know in that Memphis game or some other game. They've they got to worry about just getting better right now for the Memphis game, and hopefully move from there. Right? Well, this is not a cakewalk schedule. This this isn't you know the days of Conference USA where you have you know maybe one good team and a bunch of also rands. Uh, this is a pretty solid schedule. You know you you got Memphis, who's a borderline top twenty five team, just like UCF is. You have Cincinnati, who is a top 25 team and currently uh, the leader in the N- in the NY6 race. Uh, you, you've got a scrappy two-lane team that had you know their own version of the Tulsa loss against Navy, and, and they're probably thinking the same thing as UCF fans are. But, but let's be honest. Let's be honest. This, the, the coaching staff, any coaching staff, and I know Larry was big on this, your focus on the season is a conference championship. Why? Because you can control it. Right. You can control getting to a conference championship. You can't control getting to a New Year's Six Bowl. That requires pollsters and rankings and stuff that's outside of your hands. And while some people think the season's lost because the NY6 is seemingly out of view, and I wouldn't say it's fully out of view, but it's pretty close, that's not the end of the season. The conference championship is always the main goal in mind, and everything else becomes gravy on top. So you, you know what? You're right, uh, uh, Eric. Play it one game at a time. You know we talk about one and zero. Oh. Take it that way, one and zero. Oh. Yeah. Just focus on what's in front of you. Yeah, I, I love the tweet that Matt Lee said about unbothered. You know, I believe he said hungry. Uh, something else uh, about wanting to get better. Uh, be unbothered by the outside noise of what the fans say, of what the media says, and focus on what's in front of you, the next play. You know, you learn, but you don't dwell. And, and I think that'll really help this team. And you know what? If they lose another game, you know what? UCF lost three games last year. Season didn't end. Ended up with double-digit wins. Uh, I don't know what book you guys read, but any season that ends up with double-digit wins is a win in my book. Amen. <laughs> For somebody who lived through 2015 and 20, 2004, yeah, 10 wins. That's that's a win no matter what. Uh, by the way, Matt Lee's uh, tweet after the game, unbothered, only fuels me. I give, love it. Give me 84 more of those guys right there. I love it. I love that drive. So. You know, that That is what we need. Drew, uh, where can people reach out to you? You can find me on Twitter at StatBoyDrew. And as uh, Jeff so eloquently put, I do knee-jerk reactions after every UCF football game and uh, hopefully to do other stuff. And stay tuned. We are going to have dropping you know, sooner than later our silver anniversary. This is the 25th anniversary of UCF's entrance into 1A, a.k.a. FBS. This should be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to that. I know you were asking us for a little bit of debate on a few of those. So, um, gosh, that's going to be that's going to be fun. We've done a lot of these sort of all whatever teams across a bunch of sports. And I'm glad that you're getting into the act on this one. So I'm looking forward to that. All right. Andrew Glukov, thanks for joining us, man. 
Happy to be of service. All right, stick around. We'll be right back. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, Brian Murphy, and Andrew Glukov is sticking around with us here for sec- for our last segment. Got a few things that we wanted to uh, wrap up and talk about just real quick. Um, all right, we just got done talking about football uh, the co- of the college variety. How about this past weekend for UCF football players in the NFL? Um Four of the New Orleans Saints' touchdowns on Sunday were scored by former UCF players, Draquan Smith and Latavius Murray. Um, uh, Let's see, Latavius had uh, 14 for 64 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, And then uh, Traquan, uh, four passes for 54 with a pair of touchdowns. Um, I mean, hey, that's a good weekend if you got your all-UCF fantasy team. Is that right, Murph? Give me some of that. Jeff is upset that, that I didn't start Traquan Trey Smith on his fantasy team. All right, well, no, and listen, Murph, I will never be upset about any move you make because I know that they are highly informed moves, a heck of a lot more informed than I ever would have been. But I, I'm happy for Traquan because, like, this is his best game as a Saint, right? Yeah, it was certainly a, um, a game in which he was used correctly. You know, I think Traquan... You know, Traquan is still kind of more of an athlete. Here I go. I'm not going to be like I'm not going to be like sunshine and rainbows here, but Traquan is much more of an athlete than he is a really good football player at this point. But what he all but but what he's got is size, and you saw the Saints use him in like red zone, green zone, air, green zone areas to sort of use his size to sort of box out a defensive back, throw it high, and he's going to go get it. And I think he you know he did that twice in, in a good area on the field, and so. Uh, maybe you could see the Saints do that more often this year. It certainly has helped that Michael Thomas is out uh, for the time being. Um, but yeah, it's just good to see them use Trey Quan in more ways than just uh, a guy deep down the field, you know, running nine routes and running deep posts. Uh, for the Seahawks, Shaquem Griffin uh, had a couple tackles uh, against the Dolphins. Shaquille Griffin had his first interception, I think, since 2018. Is that right? No, he had his first interception in seven days. Oh, he well, that was, oh that's week. right. That's right. The week before he got one. But, okay, two interceptions in two games. That's good. Yeah, and before that, he hadn't had one since 2018. But he does have two in two days. All right. We'll take we'll take it. Gabe, Gabe Davis uh, continues to look like he's improving with every week, which is a good sign for the Buffalo Bills, isn't it? Well, he had one catch on, I believe, one target. And it was a good thing he was wide open. Uh, scored so a touchdown. <laughs> they, I mean, the the Raiders at completely, you know, completely blew the coverage. Uh, looked like Gabe was running sort of a, a drag route that sort of went to a drag and up, uh, and they left him wide open. They didn't cover him. Great. Uh, again, I, I think the fact that they have all the receivers healthy right now, Stephon Diggs, John Brown, Gabe Davis, Cole Beasley. You know, Gabe's going to have these big play moments. He's not, not going to be really consistent. But whenever he scores a touchdown, you'll be sure that we are going to spotlight it. <laughs> so about that, you know, whole Josh Allen throwing the long ball thing, right? I mean, Josh Allen is in the MVP race, and there's no one. There is no one that would have said that coming into this year. And it gives hope to us Giants fans that Daniel Jones can have some sort of Josh Allen-like <laughs> revival. From your lips to God's ears, Murph, I'm telling you right now. Let's be honest, Josh Allen was an awful passer the first two years of his career and has taken a gigantic step forward here in year three. And he's turned into he's he's breaking Jim Kelly's records in 
It's a, it's a fantastic offense where they're running five wide. I mean, it really plays to his strength as a gunslinger. And they've got also it helps that they've got great, great receivers now. Not just Gabe, but like Stephon Diggs is probably one of the best receivers in the game. John Brown's really, really good. Cole Beasley's well, a great And they've opened up the offense a little bit, Murph, right? They've opened it up a little bit. Never saw the, you never saw the Bills running five wide with, 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 with Josh Allen before this year. So obviously it helps everyone involved and uh it definitely helps Gabe because because he's better and that offense is more wide open. You, yeah. They were mostly, you know, a very conservative offense because Josh Allen was god-awful at throwing the ball down the field. And now he's like, turn it all around. Let's see if Daniel Jones can do it next year. Maybe yeah, he's very They got to get an offensive line before Daniel Jones gets killed back that's, there. That's, <laughs> well, they've they've already they've already lost a season of Saquon Barkley because of that offensive line. So, yes, right, this, you're right, absolutely right. right. No more no, right, right, no Giants. Giant. Last UCF NFL thing I want to talk about. Adrian Killens... Um, and thanks to uh, Jeremy Brenner for pointing this out, became the 65th UCF Knight to play in an, in an NFL regular season game on Sunday night um, when, he, uh, when he suited up for the Eagles against the 49ers. He caught one pass for two yards and had one rush for minus 12. <laughs> but uh, it, it, was, it, it was still nice to see Adrian uh, get some run in the NFL for the first time. Now, he was immediately waived following the game, but that was a procedural move so that they could sign him back to the practice squad. When you, when you put a guy on the active roster, um, in order to stick him back on the practice squad, you have to put him on waivers. If nobody claims him, then you can stick him back on the practice squad, which is what the Eagles did. But um, uh, turns out that the rest of the NFL is fast. Okay, <laughs> as, I think, as I think Adrian found out on that on that carry. But hey, he's in a box score. Uh, he, you can't take it away. He's uh, Adrian Killens played in the NFL. There's no doubt about that. So congrats to Adrian on his first uh, NFL work, and hopefully he gets uh, he gets a little bit more. All right, other football. Well, real quick for Murph because Murph, I know you wrote this before the season. You talked about Jordan Akins and the Texans yes. as a yes. guy that could break out is a guy that they need. Obviously, the big news in the NFL where Bill O'Brien fired on Monday, which made our very own Jeremy Brenner very happy, and rightfully so. <laughs> but I'm curious, how do you think that's going to affect Jordan Akins? Because Bill O'Brien, in fact, it was funny, he was about to take over the play calling, and the, the ownership said, yeah, that's okay, you don't need to because you're not going to be here anymore. But how do you think all that changed now with Bill O'Brien gone? Does that Help Jordan Akins maybe get more playing time? Does it not have any effect at all? What's your thoughts on that from a Jordan Akins perspective? That's impossible to say. I don't know how they're going to use him differently. We'll have to see. And unfortunately, you know, Jordan's got bigger issues right now. He's concussed. Uh, He got concussed on Sunday. He took a a helmet-to-helmet hit from Harrison Smith, which got Harrison Smith uh, rightly ejected. Yeah, Harrison Smith got kicked out of the game for that, right? Yeah, and uh, because of that targeting, uh, it left Jordan with a concussion, which he's currently battling through. Plus, he also has an ankle injury. Uh, He didn't practice today, Wednesday. I don't think he'll play this week. We don't know. If anyone tells you that there's a a, a thing as a a mild concussion, don't believe them because that doesn't exist. Uh, Concussions have no timeline. uh, So we'll see how he's used once he gets back on the field. But one, I don't know how he'll be used or when he'll be back on the field. That doesn't answer your question. That's all I've got. Well, I hope he gets back. I had back. a concussion once. It was not fun. No. No, it's, it's not. Boy, I hopefully he could just get healthy, man, right? Because, I mean, he had some. He had the serious injury in 2015 at UCF. Uh, man, he's done a heck of a – I think he's, he's done pretty good, well. He was having a good game on Sunday yeah. when it happened, too. He had yeah. three catches yeah. for 46 yards and – 
Well, and, and I agree happens. with Brian. I, I agree with Brian. I think they got to use him more. I, I just don't. I mean, to me, they're receiving. I mean, Brandon Cooks is kind of done, right? He's washed, as far as I'm I concerned. I don't know if he's washed. Okay, Again, we're we're getting off rails, but uh, I don't know if he's washed. I mean, I I still watch him, and I'm like, there's a lot of good that he can still do. He's got juice, um, but they're not using him correctly. He's more of a gadget player, really, than I think. Uh, uh, you know, a number one receiver. They don't. The problem is they don't have a number one receiver. Will Fuller is not that. Uh, Brandon Cooks is not that. Randall Cobb has never really they been that. They kind of need it. They need a guy like a DeAndre Hopkins. That would really fit well with them. <laughs> ooh, ooh, that's harsh. Soon. Harsh. <laughs> All right. All right. Let's get out of the NFL thing. I want to talk, Jeremy. Okay. Um, the uh, four UCF uh, alumni uh, have just finished up the regular season in the USL. That's the level of soccer right below. Uh, MLS and leading the way, Cal Jennings for Memphis 901, a team that's not affiliated with any MLS squad. Uh, Memphis, uh, or, or he scored nine goals in 14 games for Memphis um, and earned a, earned, he started as a sub and worked his way up. And uh, he's been start, he's been in their starting lineup since the end of August. Uh, he had a, uh, a hat trick. In Memphis's final match, uh, and uh, wow, not, not, it, his nine goals came over his final four games, uh, with the uh, lone remaining goal coming on July 18th against Atlanta United. So, um, wow, Cal Jennings showing his talent. This kid has got to get to the to MLS at some point in soon, right, Eric? Like he's he's so. too good. He's too good to not be on an MLS roster. I don't know what happened, why he's not now. Like, he was a first-round draft pick. They didn't come to terms with FC Dallas for whatever reason. He's obviously dominating in the USL. I don't know what happened there, but that's a that might be an, an example of a, why the MLS needs, still needs improvement because that's a miss. And somebody like, – he's yeah. going to be in the MLS. I here's mean, a, here's be, a good example of a of – an, I mean, a, a talented American player who is – languishing right now well i don't want to say languishing maybe that's too strong but he's he should be in mls right now he's a goal scoring machine right absolutely get he, that kid to the biggest level now you can't teach goal scoring and right. he has that he has it when it comes to that so i don't know what happened we we'll have to find out what happened with all that I, there might, there's got to be some story to that at some point i'll probably reach out to our buddy kenny landis who is the men's soccer media yeah. relations Right now, he's a diehard Marlins. The guy bleeds teal, so he's in—he's like me right now in disappointment uh, on this postseason against the garbage Atlanta Braves, those those jerks like Acuna and company. But nonetheless, <laughs> we'll get over it, and then I'll talk to him it's about okay. Cal Jetty. Okay. But he's been tremendous. It's all right. He'll be okay. Um, Jonathan Dean finished up his rookie season, a goal in Orlando five Orlando City, what are you thinking? I know. Where Jonathan, they let him go, Jeff. Golly. I know. I know. Um, Boy, wouldn't it be nice to see Cal Jennings in purple, huh? Yeah. Or John uh, and Jonathan Dean, who they actually drafted. Um, Romario Williams uh, was uh, was in his first uh, season or had his first season at the USL level uh, after four years of MLS, um, and he scored a lot of goals this year. He had eight over sixteen, uh, eight goals over sixteen matches. Um, and uh, had a goal in each of his final two uh, for Miami FC. Now this is not the this is not the David Beckham team at MLS. This is the Miami team at, at USL. And then uh, Haji Barry uh, also played in all fifteen of North Carolina FC's games, uh, tallying a goal 
and an assist. So, um, so how about Any that? Any of those guys could have helped Orlando City on Wednesday night beat Absolutely. Atlanta United instead of a scoreless draw. Absolutely. Absolutely. Got Orlando City, come on, guys. Let's get to it. All right. Murph, I want to turn back to you. Uh, the American Athletic Conference announced the scheduling plan for basketball. Here it is, according to a release from UCF. Um, the schedule will include 20 conference games. Uh, remember, UConn's gone, so we have 11 teams in the league. Uh, double round-robin schedule. Uh, it used to be 18, now it's 20. The conference will open with three December windows uh, for conference games. December 14th through the 17th, 21st to 23rd, and 28th through 31st. Um, and the, the uh, tournament will take place uh, once again at Dickey's Arena in Fort Worth, Texas, March 11th through the 14th. On the women's side, they will also play 20 games. Uh, double round robin. Uh, and that's up uh, up from uh, by four from the previous uh, uh, previous schedule that they used to, they used to play 16 conference games. Uh, and they will have four windows in December, 14th through the 17th, 18th through 20th, 21st through 23rd, and 28th through 31. Uh, and the women's tournament will be held at Dickey's Arena in the three days before the men's tournament, March 8th through 11th in Fort Worth, and then March 11th through the 14th, the men's team. So we would have the women's championship and the men's first round on the same day. That is an app. That would be, that, man, Irv, that, I mean, that could be guaranteed- a lot of fun. Irv, you're, you're, you're guaranteed to stay longer than 24 hours this time. I know. <laughs> Are we sure? Well, we're, not, oh, we're not. We're not. We're not hundred percent sure. But assuming all those words, well, yeah, exactly. Don't don't buy the tickets yet, Murph. But all right. So what do we think of these schedule changes, Murph? What does it mean for UCF basketball? It means that everyone's going everywhere this year, right? I mean, everyone's going to get a fair shot against everyone else on Balanced their home schedule. Floor. Right, and, and well, yeah. I mean, because you need more conference games. With the lack of non-conference games, and I'll get to that in a minute with non-conference news because we have definitely have some news there. Uh, but uh, it'll be, you know, it's a true test of how good you are in conference play because you're gonna get a shot against everyone on their own on their own floor. Uh, and I, and this is not surprising. This has been rumored for about three weeks that that the American would go this way. Um, so they announced it today on Wednesday, and it's kind of expected. Yeah. Uh, I will add though. So UCF, you know, every team likes to have one of these multi-team events that they're part of in the, in, you know, in what they call the preseason, basically your non-conference season. Uh, and UCF's for the longest time for this year had been the uh, Hall of Fame tip-off, which was in the, the Mohegan Sun in Connecticut, and they're yeah. playing teams. They're playing teams like Minnesota, and I believe Marquette was in there. Well, very recently, UCF and Temple did a swap. So Temple was going to go play in that tournament up in Connecticut, and UCF was going to come back to Orlando to play in a team event in Orlando because there are, I believe right now, eight uh, multi-team events scheduled for Orlando in college basketball this fall and winter. Uh, I don't know who's playing where, but we do know this. We learned this tonight. I mean, as far as I know, I learned this tonight. I don't know who else knew about this because John Rothstein reported this as if it was already news. But John Rothstein on Wednesday night reports the 2020 Orange Bowl Classic doubleheader has been canceled. But but buddy goes the original opponents will remain intact, and that means Florida Atlantic will play Florida in Gainesville, and UCF will play Florida State in Tallahassee. I didn't know that UCF was playing Florida State in Tallahassee this year. Apparently, 
that's going to happen. Uh, and that's All a right. big deal because Florida State is a team that's made to the tournament. Uh, you know, well, really, they made it to the tournament four years in a row. Granted, they didn't have a tournament last year, obviously, but I believe they were 26 and five. Uh, they lost a lot of guys off of that team, but, you know, Leonard Hamilton Seminoles have always been defensive heavy, long, tall teams, uh, really, like, really athletic. That's going to be a really good opponent for UCF, uh, mixing with their conference schedule. And I, uh, I'm i kind of hyped for that game. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, my only hope is, is, like with everything else, that they actually get to play it. So right now, non-conference games that UCF has scheduled. Florida State, but we don't know what date. Um, Quinnipiac, November 18th, that's still happening? No, 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 because the season doesn't start till November 25th. Oh, okay. So, yeah. all right, because I'm looking at the men's basketball schedule right now on the, on the website. So, okay, we don't know what's going to yeah. happen with that. All right. So, yeah, we don't know. We don't know when that game, if it's going to be played, if it will be played. Uh, I, I, I do know that the, uh, the, that UCF is scheduled to play. Obviously, we all know this. UCF is scheduled to play at Michigan this year, you know, but the dates weren't announced when that came out back in, that was announced back in July that UCF would play in Michigan starting in a home and home where Michigan would come to come to Orlando in, in the 2021-22 season. Uh, I don't know if the if the, the season being pushed back to November 25th has affected that at all, um, but that's supposed to also be on the schedule along with now Florida State and whatever else they can get, you know, mixed up in there plus your 20-game conference schedule. So, it's hard to say because you just don't know what it looks like. We barely know. What, we barely just found out when the season was going to start. <laughs> yeah. So the basketball schedule is going to be, all of a sudden it's getting a violent shove into busy. Um, Eric, any thoughts on the women's basketball schedule? Well, let me. I, I, I do have thoughts on that, but let me kind of uh, piggy bank on Murph as far as the Knowles. That's a team John Rostin has in the top 15 preseason could be top 10 to some people, even though they did lose guys like Devin Vessel and guys like that. They've got one of the top recruiting classes coming in. Leonard has done an incredible job there. They won the ACC regular season title. Some people thought they were a Final Four team if they were going to have an ACC tournament team. They're going to be in the mix again. They're a top 10, top 15 team going in. So that's a big deal to keep that game. I mean, how about Johnny Dawkins scheduling, by the way? Yo, <laughs> yo, he ain't messing around, is he? Like, the guy ain't ducking people. So I think that's awesome <laughs> for UCF. It's awesome for the state of Florida. I think the women's is fascinating, right? I mean, we'll get into the, you know, no KK right. That's going to be the number one question. I'm going to say the over-under is Abe gets asked about that a 100 times. Uh, they've got a good group coming back, but who's going to be that score? Who's, it's probably going to be a more balanced offense. Interesting to go. I think it's a wide-open league. Cincinnati will probably get picked. USF will get picked. Going to 20 games. Makes, I, I like the 20 games for both the men's and the women. You play everybody twice. It makes a lot of sense. And especially in this year with the the unknowns, you're probably not going to play as many non-conference games as you normally would. You're not going to travel as much as you normally would. So you do the home-and-homes with the games, and uh, and then you decide it in the conference tournament. All right. All right. So um, I, I, too, love the fact that the schedule is balanced. I think, you know, but you know, if the American adds another team to get to 12 even – I don't know what happens from that, but um, we're going to be a lot of mi travelage miles. By the way, Murph, the Tucker Center, Tucker Center, that's uh, Florida State UCF have played there before. It's not really an arena. It's more like a theater. It's very unique. A theater. Well, I've never been, so I, if they do play the game, I will make the trip up there, uh, which is kind of making me happy about the 
the balance scheduling is it gives me a chance to possibly go to a different like different venues I haven't been to before in basketball or just really just go to Memphis again because I will never turn down an opportunity if I can afford it to go to Memphis to watch sports. I love I love it there. I love it. The Civic Center. Right? Oh god. Is that what it is? The Civic Center, Eric? Uh, the, yes, the Leon Tucker uh, Civic Center. Yes. Gotcha. Yeah, so that look, kind of looks like Very old school, very old uh, kind of like a, a, probably arcade. It's like but... a horseshoe kind of kind of deal thing going yeah. on. There. Yeah. 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 Okay. It's a nice place to go. All right, cool. All right. Last thing we want to wrap up with, and I, I'm embarrassed by this, but whatever. Um, all right, so the cat's out of the bag. If you went to the uh, UCF football game uh, on uh, Saturday against Tulsa, uh, or if you were listening carefully uh, to the background of the television uh, of the uh, of the television telecast, uh, there is a new uh, public address announcer for UCF football, and that is me. Uh, <laughs> no, no way! You don't say. I, well, well, I, I I did want to at least address that uh, address that in, in part and say number one. Um, I'm immensely thankful to Jimmy Skiles and especially Steve Robertson from the um, from the UCF Marketing and Fan Experience Department because they're the ones who brought me in. Um, and uh, thanks to them, thanks to everyone who has who helped them, you know, make that decision and arrive at it. And uh, I also wanted to give a special thank you to um, Eric Kohler, who I know is, everyone knows has been. UCF's PA guy for years and years and years, as long as I can remember, um, you know, and it, nobody loved doing that more than Eric. And I, I know that he can't, it, you know, he's, that he decided he, uh, he couldn't do it anymore. But, um, you know, I, I think I join everyone in knowing that, you know, it's, it's not going to, you know, UCF is not going to sound the same without Eric, right? I mean, we all know that, but he was really nice. He called me actually the morning of the game and gave me uh, some great tips and encouragement, and I'm eternally thankful for that. It's uh, it, he's just a great dude, and uh, and Eric, thank you. I appreciate you reaching out because that was that uh, again, fantastic. Thank you so much. Um, as for the game itself, um, it was uh, it it it. it, it it was a weird atmosphere. I think we all understood that. Like, you know, lack of, uh, the lack of fans, of course, right? I mean, there was only 8,000 fans there. Um, we, it, it, I, I, I got some questions. Now, we had to play, it's required by the conference that we play can crowd noise through the speakers, right? That's actually by rule. They have to do that. The coaches actually agree on at what level they put it. But, um, it's it, it's a, it's a conference regulation, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and we tried some new things, right? There was some there was some pyrotechnics that we had in the pregame. It was it was really cool, and uh, I, I just say the experience of actually calling the game, and uh, you know, obviously not thrilled with the result as a fan, of course. But you know, I thought that the you know we for it was just a lot of fun and. Uh, what a true privilege and a joy. And I'm thankful to all the fans who reached out and said, hey, you did a great job. Thank you. You know, fantastic. That is, I'm eternally grateful for that. I, I can't possibly be more grateful for that because, you know, sometimes it's like, you know, first game jitters. I was never, more, there were three occasions on my life where I was more nervous than I was on Saturday night. All right. It was my wedding and the birth of my two kids. 
those are the only two times because <laughs> I've never been so nervous. And I, and I posted a video of the welcome, and you can see my hand shaking as I'm reading the script. And yeah. I was like, I was like, I can't believe I'm doing this. Um, and you get, but you know, we we got through it. I I know the game result wasn't what we wanted, but it was just a total blast. And thank you, thank you, thank you so much to everybody. And uh, to quote uh, you, Drew, we'll do better next time. We did our best this time, but w- we will do even better the next time around on the 24th. I can't wait for the 24th, the next time we get the chance to do it. So, um, so yeah, I just wanted to say thanks to everybody on that. So there you go. Welcome to the league, Rook. I know, right? I know. It was, it, it's, it's, a, it's tight quarters in there in that, in that booth. And, like, you know, I'm, it's me and three other people, Steve – and then Michelle, who runs the music, and then Dave, who runs all the audio, and uh, he has this giant audio board there, and it was uh, it, it was it was really something. By the way, Steve is just the MVP, man. That guy runs around the booth like crazy. He's directing the game. He's like he's like John Williams or Zubin Mehta back there, like di- like you know conducting everything. He's it's it's amazing. <laughs> I wish we could. We should put a GoPro up there just so you could see what everything that Steve does back there. It's really something. He is. He's awesome. That's why I call him Stevie Franchise. He's just the best. Um. So yeah, that was. It was so cool. And uh, can't wait for the twenty fourth. It's gonna be fun. It's gonna be a well, lot of fun. You have all of us jealous because it's something we'll never experience. Well, don't say never. I mean, you never know. I mean, you get the chance to do do PA at some point. I I highly recommend it. It's it's a lot of it's. It's it's a lot of fun. It's busy. You got to prepare, and I was I was pretty well prepared. But I knew I knew the one thing. Okay, the one big tip that everybody gave me, and there were and and I tried to try my best to do it, and I think I did a pretty good job. Was when UCF is on offense, I got to get in and get out. Like I got to say what I got to say, and then shut up because we move so quick, and the and they need quiet for the offense to make their to make their calls and all that. And that's exactly what I did. I got in and I got out and I stayed as quiet as humanly possible um, it, it, when we were on offense just to get out of the way. Because one thing that Eric told me, he's like, you don't want the glare from hype. And I was like, I'm not going to get the glare from hype. Whatever I do, I'm going to stay quiet. <laughs> so, so that was so that's what I did. I, I call the play and get out. That's what we had to do. And that's what we did. So hey, it worked. I know it worked. All right, so. Um, all right, so let's go ahead and wrap well, the this cool up. thing. I'll just add this. The cool thing about it, Eric Kohler, UCF alum. Jeff, you're a UCF alum. I love yeah. the fact that it's from one alum to another. And I hope you go 20 years plus like EK did and you pass it along at some point to a UCF alum. I think that would be pretty cool tradition uh, for the PA uh, spot there. I think uh, that would be pretty awesome. I, I'm, I hope I'm that lucky. I hope I'm that lucky to do it that long. Uh, it, it's... I really am because it, it's a real privilege and um, and it's one that I take extremely, extremely seriously. And uh, yeah, so I'm already I'm already getting nervous thinking about the next game. <laughs> but just, what, just remember, Jeff, you are now the voice of the battle. No, I am not. No, I am not. That's no, 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 no. I'm not trading on that. No, sir. I'm not. It's it's <laughs> I, I am. Listen, we are the scenery. The stars are the players. They're the stars of the show, right? So it's all about them, um, and uh, that, that's that's what I hope everyone remembers. It's the things that we do are for them. All right. So 
and for the fans. We want the fans to have a really good time. And I think I think the fans that were there, aside from the results, they had a great time. That's what I think. So, um, all right, let's wrap this thing up. Uh, don't forget to follow us on Twitter, UCF underscore Banneret, Facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banneret, and of course, Black and Gold Banneret dot com, uh, where you can read all of our latest content, including all the stuff that we had just recently. Uh, you can read what Drew uh, wrote after the game. You can read Anthony Lenahan's latest uh, column, uh, which uh, broke everything down, which we talked about before. Uh, don't forget to read Luke Saris's uh, column where he discussed, uh, where he actually reached out to two former UCF offensive linemen to get their takes on what's going on with the offense right now. That was fantastic. Thank you, Luke, for that. Danny Medina, who's been excellent with our game day features. He's, she's also on top of the weather all week. Danny, thank you. Jeremy Brenner, killing it on the uh, on the newsletters that go out each day. Um, and, uh, of course, our main man right here, Stat Boy Drew, Andrew Glukov, with uh, all of his insight. Andrew, thank you, thank you, thank you for everything that you do. Not a problem. Happy to, happy to be here and having a good time. Stat Boy Drew on Twitter. Don't forget to follow him there. Uh, thanks, as always, to both of you guys, Eric and Murph, for everything that you do. Eric Lopez, Elo on Twitter, and Spokes underscore Murphy. Murph, uh, you said Thursday's the next time we're going to hear from uh, Hypel, and then that's it for the week? Right, so probably probably by the time you're listening to this, we'll have talked to him, and uh, we'll see if anything comes of it. Uh, obviously, there are a lot of questions to ask. Uh, again, not sure if we're going to get any answers. <laughs> well, also, to get those answers, but Spokes if are, underscore if are Murphy answers, on Twitter. That's right. There you yeah, go. Yeah, right. There are. Before we sign off, we haven't really talked about this. Let's let's pay short requiem to the fourteen hundred and fourteen days that passed between UCF home losses. Uh, it was so long. I wasn't living in Florida last time UCF lost a home game. That's right. And I was still living in California. So it's been a long time, and I know people were upset and angry and bitter and whatever. But you go fourteen hundred and fourteen days of the home loss. Like, take a step back and reflect on how much fun that we've actually had. Yeah. Tulsa giveth and it was Tulsa, Tulsa taketh away. Yeah. Tulsa. I was yeah. there. I was 40, there for 45, Tulsa. 45 to thirty. Was the final score yeah. of that game? It was uh, it was fourteen fourteen at the half, and then Tulsa scored twenty one in the third. That so. was my 2016. That was my last year as a as a season ticket holder before jumping into the the media arena. Mm. Gosh, Tulsa, man, unbelievable. Uh, all right, let's get let's get out of that. let's get out of it. So, what are you gonna do? By the way, thirty five twenty for the record. Th- oh, thirty five. Did I? Uh, Oh, that's right. 35-20. I'm sorry. I was thinking about the 2015 meeting, which is 45-30. But, yep. The other one was thir- uh, the 2016 meeting was 35-20. to 20, So uh, so follow Spokes underscore Murphy on Twitter for the latest on Josh Heupel's presser from Thursday. Eric, you got some stuff coming up too, don't you? I do. I, right now I have currently the TV uh, numbers from the Tulsa game, plus obviously the fact that UCF's making going to make their 11th appearance on ABC against Memphis. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're going to break that down. Plus uh, – you know, I was there was a chance this would have been a, a primetime game, so I might actually do a list of some of the best play-by-play color commentators to ever do UCF football game on a national escape uh, landscape. So that Top might be Cruz. coming out hmm. ne- next week. And then I will piggyback off Andrew. He's got his 25th uh, anniversary team. I will have a list of the 25 best games since UCF's been a Division One member uh, as well, coming out there in the future as well. So we got a. A lot of good stuff coming up uh, as far as that's concerned uh, through the history. This is the 25th season of UCF football in Division One. Started all the way back in 1996. Excellent. 1996.
96 doesn't seem like it was that long ago. It was a long time ago. <laughs> All right, so for Andrew Glukov, Brian Murphy, and Eric Lopez, I'm Jeff Sharon saying thank you for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Enjoy the weekend. We will see you next week.